Well, this morning we're going to go hop around some verses a little bit. So we're going to start out in John 4, if you guys want to go ahead and turn there. If you guys are taking notes this morning, you can title this as Thirsty and Hungry. Thirsty and Hungry, and John 4, 1 through 14 is where we're going to start at. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria, and so he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. In verse 11, And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and you, the well is deep. Where then do you get the living, that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And Lord, we just want to search your scriptures. We want to see what it is to be satisfied in you, Lord. And so I ask that you just open up our minds, and Lord, that we would not be stubborn to hear your word. And Lord, any distractions this morning, Lord, that you would just take care of those, and, and Lord, that we could just focus completely on your word. Lord, that we could put you first and, and put you exactly where you belong in our lives, Lord. And so these things that we've been putting in our lives that, that we seem to satisfy, Lord, I ask that you would just help us to see them, first of all, and then to be able to come before you and have you work it out in our lives so that we could just be satisfied completely in you, Lord. We just thank you for your message. We thank you so much for your word, Lord, and how it directs us. And we praise your name. Amen. So in this short little part, this is not where we're going to hang out the whole time, but what the message is going to be about this morning is being satisfied. Who are we satisfied in? And you guys see that he goes through this whole thing, and we could do a whole study on just this part. It's a very interesting part of Scripture. I mean, Jesus walking through Samaria. Jews didn't do that. They walked completely around. Even though it was a great shortcut to where they were going, they'd walk all the way around because of the prejudice against them. There's a whole history there you guys can go and look up. And not only that, but then he asked a woman, a Samaritan woman, to give him a drink. That would be... They believed, and they'd made up rules that that would defile a Jew because it was coming from somebody that was unclean. They even looked at them as the Gentiles, even though they were Jewish. And you see this whole instance going on that Jesus, he was looking all past it, of course. I mean, he saw another human being that he was about to die for. And he asked this woman for this drink because he's parched, right? Well, and the woman says, you know, what are you talking about this living water if I would have asked you? You don't even have anything to get the water out of there. And Jesus starts to open up her eyes and to talk about who he is and what he can do. 
And I love how he says there in that verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Isn't that how the world is? You, you know what? You can find some satisfaction in the world. That's, that's not untrue. And there's, there's positive satisfaction out there. We're going to go through some of that stuff. But the thing is, is that if it, that's the only thing that's centered in our life, we won't ever be fully satisfied. It's not an eternal satisfaction that we can gain from this world. We're going to thirst again. It's like anything. I mean, you guys work really hard all day, go take a drink. Hey, I'm thirsty again. Down, I don't know, three Gatorades in a day, you know. You're just going to keep getting thirsty. But what God says, what Jesus Christ says here, is that any that drinks that what he's going to give them, they're not going to be thirsty again. True satisfaction is going to happen in Jesus Christ. That's a promise that he has given us. So right away, I want to encourage you guys, if you're not satisfied where your life is this morning, watch what God's going to show us through his scripture and where satisfaction lies. Right here in this scripture, it's talking about his word. We know that the water is always referred to as the word, right? In some instances, the Holy Spirit, but we're satisfied in his word. Over in, uh, what is it, Ephesians, he talks about washing us in that word, washing the church in that water. It's so neat. So I really want you guys to get what he's talking about in these, these scriptures. But first, I want to introduce you to Time Magazine, if you've never heard of it. I went on, actually, time.com. And they had a title that says, How to Be More Satisfied with Your Life. Five Steps Proven by Research. Okay? It's Time Magazine. This is legit. So, first of all, they have five different ones. The first one is friends. And they give a percentage with each one. Friends. If you have friends, you're going to be 20% more life satisfaction. Okay? You know, some of these are true. I mean, you are satisfied. You have friends. It's a good thing to have friends. They encourage you. Now, what I find funny is that religion was underneath this title. And I was like, all right, let's see what they have to say about religion. So they took this guy's quote, and here's what his quote is. After examining studies of more than 3,000 adults, uh, I can't pronounce his first name, but his last name's Lynn, and this other guy is Putnam, found that what religion you practice or however close you feel to God makes no difference in your overall life satisfaction. Perfect worldly wisdom, right? What matters is the number of friends you have in your religious community. Ten is the magic number. If you have that many, you'll be happier. Religious people, in other words, are happier because they feel connected to a community of like-minded people. I mean, that's just that's the, that's the wisdom of the world. If you've never experienced Jesus Christ and the satisfaction he brings, that, that's how you would have to explain true joy that you see in people's lives that have Jesus Christ. Because there's no other way you can explain it. It's something that's beyond. And we know from Scripture that says that the spiritual things, they're blind, they cannot see it. And right there, it's very evident that they had to try to explain it. And so what it is, magic number 10, friends, that's what religion is about. Okay, guys? If you're wondering. We could just stop there. (laughs) We'll move on. It says, uh, you know, and a question I had for a person like that is, well, what about Paul and Silas when they were in jail in, in Acts 16, 25? What about them? Where were their 10 friends at? I mean, all their ten friends had taken off. It was just him and Silas. And what did they do while they were in, in an absolutely point of despair? I mean, they had other guys that had been killed before. The John, right? James. There's other guys that were ended up killing and all these other disciples that were going. And so they were looking at maybe we could be dead here in jail. And what did they do? It says that they prayed and they sang hymns. And then an angel comes and the earthquake happens. They could be set free, but they sat there in their cell. Because they're satisfied in who? 
in a horrible spot in their life, they were satisfied in Jesus Christ. There wasn't 10 friends around them to keep them satisfied, or at least the 20% more that they would have been. The next one, have a life story. This is another way that you guys can be satisfied with your life. Have a life story. Writing down your story could make you 10% more happy with your life. For me, I hate writing, so I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm like, well, we'll talk about some things, but... And we know the joy in our lives, and I want to bring out some truths in these, is that in our life story, if we want to look at that as Christians, our testimony, of course, is something that satisfies. Because we get to see our despair before Jesus Christ, and we get to see what it is after him. And so that's an exciting thing. That is something that we can be satisfied. But it goes back to Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Our satisfaction. Number three is have goals. Goals are good. People with goals are 20% more satisfied with their lives. Now, that one is a true deal. You get to see people. If you have no goal, there's despair, there's depression, and, and really you feel like there is no purpose. So I'll give it to him on that one. Number four, money. And this was interesting because I was thinking in this list they're for sure going to say something maybe about some material stuff or, or your stats, you know, wherever you are in your power. They actually said money isn't the answer. That was their title. Money isn't the answer. Among participants in one study... Those whose values were the most materialistic rated their lives as the least satisfying. That was a study done in 2001. Another quote, having meaning in your life increases life satisfaction twice as much as wealth. So those are truths there that we know. But if you're not going to have that, what's the purpose to life? Because the world teaches something very opposite than what was just said here. They know it should be truth. But if you don't have Jesus Christ, what your purpose in life is, is to gain, isn't it? Is to make a name. Is, and that can be through service to other people. I see different things where they're, you know, people have rejected materialism. They don't have Jesus Christ. But they focused on other things and how they can enrich their lives and be a better person and have the focus more on how they look and they're perceived. And so again, it does not point to Jesus Christ. The last one is keep growing. And the way they said this is they didn't mean to eat more cookies. But it says, People over the age of 50 who said they, con- they continued to learn about topics that interested them, they were 18% more likely to feel satisfied with their lives and 43% more likely to feel vital. And that was in 1999. So we can conclude off of these steps that if you follow them, you're going to be 68% more satisfied in your life. Now, that's, a, that's the world's look. That's how they're trying to figure it out because people want to be satisfied. I mean, we want to be satisfied, don't we? Just go through and think about some of those points that were either mentioned or some of the things in your guys' own lives and what satisfies. What's some of the things that you look for satisfaction? You know, are these things that are going to satisfy whether they're temporal, that you'll thirst again? Or is this something that points back to Jesus Christ? Because there are a lot of things in the world that Jesus will use that bring satisfaction, but it always points back to him, doesn't it? That's true satisfaction, that union with him. Some of the things that, you know, what kind of water are you guys drinking from? What are you being satisfied in? Is it TV? The different programs? The different, uh, I, don't, I don't even know, episodes of different CSI? I don't even know what's popular right now. I've heard of a bunch of dirty ones out there, but, and it's sad that some people are way into them. Movies, is that what brings satisfaction? 
Is there a dedication that's put aside for movies that you have to have this certain amount of time for movies each week? What about social media? Does that satisfy it? I got to check out my account. I got to go look at my Facebook because I got to see if anybody mentioned my photo because I was looking good in that one, you know? <laughs> or I put something up and I need some recognition for it. Or, or, and it doesn't even have to be that extreme. It's just I'm so involved that I got to know what everybody else's life and, and I'm so involved in this social media that that is where I find my satisfaction. Is it in sports? You know, is, is it I'm so, I'm so excited about my team because they're, they're winning or they, they lost really bad to the 49ers in that game, that preseason one. <laughs> what is it that you guys are focused on? What brings you that ultimate joy, that satisfaction? Is it, is it men that bring you that satisfaction? Is it women? And you guys can spin off from there in both of those areas. Is it the American dream? that is bringing you satisfaction. You guys want to read a great book? Read Radical. The title under it is Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. Great book. Is it the American Dream? Is it money that you guys are satisfied? That's what brings your satisfaction. Is it respect? Is it shopping? And I'm not just saying that to include the women, but really, even you guys, if you get a house or whatever, a new one, you got to make sure you have something to put in every little spot so it looks good, right? I got, I got tools, and you got to line up that, that, what do they call those, the, the holes in the board on the, on the back wall, you know? <laughs> Get all the tools up there so I know where to find them and all. It's having, it's more of the shopping. I got to have all these things in order, so this could go for men or women. Women and having the house, I got to have all the little nooks and crannies filled with something in there. That'll look perfect there. Or the guys, it's, I got to have this tool because, yeah, I could do it with that other one, but this one is so much easier and faster to be able to do this. I got to have it. And that consuming, and that's what satisfies. That's what i got to go talk to the people about and tell them, this is the new thing I have. Children. Now, you might look at that one and say, well, yeah, of course your children will bring satisfaction. Of course they do. But the one point I want to bring out is, is it their success that brings you guys satisfaction? There's many times as parents that we push our children, we have these expectations for them so that we can be satisfied. That we can boast in our children and be so proud of what they've accomplished and how smart they are and hey these are great things as parents but if that's your satisfaction and that's the end of it there's something going on there and each one of these topics that i i said right here i want to make sure that you guys aren't taking it wrong now each one of them i think a good way to look at it is is this driving the flesh or is this driving the spirit what's really being fed here if the flesh has been crucified, then why keep satisfying? Why focus on satisfying the flesh? And before there's any misunderstanding about the satisfaction, I want to clarify that this satisfaction in this list, it's not a sin. But when it gets to the point of being your only focus, that is where it turns, because it all of a sudden it's been put before Jesus Christ, your true satisfaction. Because there are things on this list that it's like, yeah. I mean, especially your children, you want to see them be successful. You know, shopping, it's not an evil thing, but if that's what consumes you and that's the only thing that satisfies you or that's where you find your satisfaction, guys, there's something wrong there. The American dream and making sure you're accomplishing and always getting the step up and having that success story. You just, it's a careful thing that we know that we have to walk the line and see where are we at with Jesus Christ on this. Is he the one that's ultimately being uh, glorified in it? Now, if you guys are feeling down, and, and the first thing you run into is something on the list, and, and there's a problem. Just as, he is, just as Jesus said, you know, that you're going to thirst again. 
each one of these things, we will thirst again. How many of you guys watch an episode? Let's say, I know you guys maybe haven't watched this in a while, but 24, you guys remember that one? Okay, when you first watch it, you couldn't stop because like you had to know what's going to happen next. Is the bomb going to blow up? Are they going to get to the people? Any kind of episode where they, they, they try to one-up it and so that the next time you have to watch it because you've got to know what's going on. And the thing is, is, you're thirsty again. You keep getting thirsty. You need to go change your bathroom. You need to go change your kitchen because it's, it's you know, we've got to get something else a lot better in here. Okay, now that we've changed that, now we've got to change this. It's so funny how many people's houses I've gone into and I've changed something like their flooring and now they look around and they're like, oh man, we've got to change so much in here. Got, the furniture's got to go, we've got to get new furniture, we've got to get this, we've got to get that. Gotta, make sure it's all, all one little thing so it looks like it's off the magazine. And guys, I'm not trying to harp on you and say that, don't go out shopping, you guys, it's a sin. What it is, is that if it comes a focus and a desire and that's the only thing that's going to satisfy you is having that next thing, then wake up, you guys, that's not how it goes. That's not what this life is. That's not what we've been called to. Our true satisfaction should be found in Jesus Christ. Again, what is more important to feed that flesh or to feed the spirit? Only Jesus will bring us that living water which will satisfy. So let's look at three things that Jesus satisfies us in. Okay, Three things that he satisfies us in. He satisfies us in our desires. He satisfies us in our expectations. And he satisfies us in our needs. And there's some great scripture that backs this up. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11 first. First Corinthians 10, 1 through 11. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. In verse 6, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. And all these things happened to them as, as examples, and they were written for admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so we look at that scripture, and what do we see right away? That's an example, isn't it? All these things that happened were examples to us. So let's go back and let's look at some of these examples. And that first one, that he satisfies our desires. So if we go back to Exodus. Go back to Exodus 13. And what we're going to see is we're going to see these guys going out through the wilderness on their way to Mount Sinai. And one of the things I want to give you guys the information on is that when they're going to take this trip, if you go back and look at it, Moses told Pharaoh that it was only going to be a three-day trip. And if you look at a map, that's all it should take is from where they're at to Mount Sinai. It should be about three days. Now, they got a lot of people to move. But it's interesting what God took them through before they came to worship him at the mountain. 
Because you've got to remember, they're coming out of a society for 400 years of just being under these other gods, this other philosophy on what their worldview was. And they've been passed down these generations of who Jehovah was, but it's all mixed up. And so God needs to reveal himself once again. He needs to show his character to them. So he's going to take them through some times to show that they can trust in him and what his character is. But it's really interesting how they react to it. And it's not far from how we would react, I don't think. So what would these examples of our desires be? Before we read into this, some of the examples of our desires, and I would say this, maybe this includes all of us in here, but you guys can take from whatever the, off this list. A desire of our life might be peace, right? I mean, mankind wants peace. We always hear it. Peace is great. Peace is a great thing. We want protection. We want to be protected. We want security. We want love. We want a hammock on the beach. We want no problems, right? And we want life. I think you guys can agree that those are some of the things that we would desire as a people. And so when you look at this and you start going into it, look over at Exodus 13, 17, and it says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph. And it just goes on and talks about the pillar being there uh, of light and the cloud that guided them by day. The first part of that, though, we see that God wants to give them peace, doesn't he? He doesn't want them going right into war because he knew that they were not ready for it. They were not ready to trust in his hand in taking them to that war with the Philistines. So he gives them peace. And he takes them around another way. Now, also in chapter 14, verses 10 through 14, we read, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us all away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. In verse 14, The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now he brings them a little bit closer to that confrontation, but he still gives them peace. And he ends up parting the sea, and they go across. And now any of you guys that are skeptics of the Red Sea crossing, I dare you to go and check out some of the archaeological finds that they've found over there. There's actually a natural land bridge on the one part that they believe that they crossed across the Red Sea. That happens to be not very far into the water. And it doesn't dip down because all the other parts, they would have gone down a really steep slope and then back up a really steep slope. But there's this one spot that just goes right out across there. There's a beach that's right before that too that could easily encamp two million people there. And it happens that there's a valley that's perfectly set coming right to that beach that easily a cloud could cover up the eyesight of whoever's pursuing them down there. And there's also the, the, the um, Egyptian fort that it talks about. They still have that documented up to the north and the cliffs down to the south. So it was really a place that they were pinned. They had to completely rely on the Lord. But it's neat. You can go back and check it out. There's actually a pillar on the other side in Saudi Arabia, 
that before the Saudi Arabians went and clayed it all up, it had writing on there. It had ancient writing, and it talked about Moses and water, and it had some very neat details on what had happened. They believe there's two pillars on each side that were set up to remember that place. Really neat. Go check it out. I mean, if you guys are skeptics of what the Bible says, there's some neat things in there that you'll get to see, and you can go firsthand, and you can check out these pictures of them going in there and, and, and finding this. Another point is that they found um, some of the chariot wheels down in the Red Sea, and you can see pictures of that. They actually have the pictures of them. And so it's a neat, neat thing if you guys want to go in there. And even if you guys want to go ahead and, you know, just reassure that faith. Like, wow, this is neat. Like, I have this faith. It's neat to see this. So go check that out. I'll let you have at it. It's an easy search. Go Google it. So the Lord gave them peace, and he gave them life, right? Some desires, some desires that we have. Now over in Psalms 37, 3 through 6, there's some instruction that we're given there. Psalms 37, three through six, says, "Trust in the Lord and do good." I'll wait a little bit. Sorry, guys, jumping right into it. Psalms 37, verse three through six: Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. God's faithfulness, right? Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Trust in the Lord, right? Delight ourselves in the Lord, and he will give us the desires of our heart. Now we have those desires, and we know that there's so many scriptures that talk about, you know, pray, ask, and he'll give it to you. I want to clarify that you guys make sure that every every context that that's in is talking about a disciple of Jesus Christ, isn't it? So being a disciple of Jesus Christ, our mind has been transformed, it's been renewed, hasn't it? And so going and asking for this mansion or, or some selfish proposition to give before God, it's not talking about that. It's talking about in the context of who is asking for it, and it's those that are just followed, those that delight themselves in the Lord. And I guarantee you, you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to have a different perspective on life and what's important. And those things that you go ask from him, he will give you because it's part of his heart. That's what the context in the scripture. So don't be misled with other people then saying, name it, claim it, it's going to be yours, have faith, you can have it. So our desires will be satisfied. Now the second example, if you guys turn back over to Exodus, chapter 16, The second one is that he satisfies our expectations. Now, this is a hard one for us because so many times we have had expectations put on us or we've put them on others only to find what? Disappointment, right? And that's one of those things that we're very cautious of. I was researching and going on the topic of it, expectations, and it seems that so many times they, they, people do not want to have expectations anymore. Expectations are too high. <laughs> In some manners, that's true, but the thing is that we have expectations, or another word you could use in that area is hope, right? We have hope. We have expectations. This one quote I found, it says, Don't blame people for disappointing you. Blame yourself for expecting too much from them. Think about that next time you have a complaint with somebody. (laughs) Maybe you're just expecting too much from them. 
Have you ever been around a person that always sets themselves up for disappointment and because of what they expect from others? You know, and maybe you're even in that situation where you, you, you decide in your mind, this is how it's all going to work out. This is what the person will do for me. This is, this is the love that they're going to show towards me. And, and you set yourself up, and when the person doesn't know any of that, they fail in your eyes, and then there's confrontation, there's disappointment that happens. Being very careful of what the, status, the expectations are, because the expectations in this life, they're always going to be set on a human level, Right? Because that's all we can go to. But then when we have expectations and those promises of what God has given us, that's a different deal. That's that hope that we can completely trust Him because like we just read in Psalms, that God is faithful. His faithfulness. He will be faithful to continue and to follow through those promises that He's given us. So it becomes hard to trust, but not with our God. He's faithful. Our hope and expectation is based on His Word. So over in Exodus 16, let's see how these guys worked out as far as their expectations. In verses 1 through 3 of chapter 16, it says, And they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinia. On the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt, then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then in verse 12, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them. This is the Lord speaking. At twilight you shall shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And there's those expectations. I mean, if you're going to be taken out into the wilderness, you expect to probably eat, right? Well, here's the thing is, remember, like I told you guys, that it was going to be a three-day journey, or it should have been. Well, when you're going to go on a three-day journey, you're probably going to maybe pack an extra day in there just in case something happens. These guys were out there almost a month. It ended up being a little bit longer trip. So I love it because God completely takes all their resources away from them, what they had planned on, what they had their expectations in, those things that they would thirst again in, right? And he provides himself. And they come complaining to him. They complain to Aaron, and I find it very interesting because it says they complain to Aaron and Moses, which means their direction, their focus was that these guys are the ones that brought us out. These guys are the ones that are messed up. Because God's back in Egypt still. We could have sat with him and ate, if you look at the wording there. It's their whole mentality was it's so mixed up. Sometimes, yeah, God was with us. No, they're not. How many times have you guys had that in your own life? Problems arise, oh, God's forsaken me again. He's not around anymore. Maybe he's back in Egypt. Things are going good. Oh, God, you're so good. You're so close to me. This is great. You're satisfied. Just remember that he's always there, and he may take you a little bit longer, take you in a different path because he needs to declare himself. He needs to show you another character of himself, his love for you, that you can truly be satisfied in him and know that he is faithful. You have no idea where he's going to be taken. All you can do is just trust in him. Don't get on that ride of complaining and saying, oh, where is he at, and, and trying to figure all that out. We can be trusting in him and see that he is faithful. We can expect God to follow through on his promises, can't we? I mean, how many of you guys had promises he's given you, whether it's through the word of God or even personal promises, and he's followed through? Yeah, just one? Okay. A couple of you guys. Hey, good. Good. We're in good company, you guys. 
You guys can see the change in your own lives and see what the cross has even done for you and to see that promise of him giving you that new life, right? There's a promise you can look back onto. If he's going to be a promise in that or give a promise in that and be faithful in that, then all the other things that he's promising you guys, it will happen. It's one of those things you just have to trust in him. Wherever he's going to end up taking you, if he takes your job away from you, what are you going to do? You've got to remember he's faithful, right? Like, all right, Lord, where do you want my direction to go next? Be content in where it's at. Look over at 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. And we keep jumping right back and forth, don't we? Might as well just put your finger in both of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul speaking here, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in an utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you, should, you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. You guys can unline that in your Bible. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You guys want some expectations. There's a lot right here that you could go ahead and say and put your hope in what he's saying there. He will satisfy your guys' hope. And if you look back at what happened with these guys in their exodus or their, their time out in the wilderness, is that they were satisfied, weren't they? At first, it looks like they're not. You guys know it's interesting that a human body can go 30 to 40 days without eating until they die. The extreme starvation, I read in one of them, was usually 35 days. That's when you're pretty much done. That's when this, your hunger disappears for the first few, and then as soon as you're about to die, it comes back, and you get hungry again. So if you guys ever want to try that, you'll know. As soon as you get hungry again, better go eat. It's an interesting thing that these guys, and I wanted to put that in the expectations because we would almost put that in the needs, like we got to eat. But the thing is, is that they'd only been out there a few days. And here they were, demanding and crying out and complaining. And, oh, it's so much better in Egypt. It's so much better back with the world. We didn't have to put this trust. We could just trust in what was there. We could have died next to the meat, you know. We are full all the time. And God brings them out there to show them that, you know what, you're only going to find your true satisfaction because there in Egypt, you guys will get hungry again. You'll get thirsty again. But if you guys come out here and you depend on me, you're not going to thirst again. You're not going to hunger again. And we know that Jesus Christ takes this example of what's been given to them, and he applies that to himself, doesn't he? He says in John, I am the what? Bread of life, doesn't he? And right there in Corinthians, when we read this, it says that the rock that followed them, that rock, that living water, and Jesus himself saying to the Samaritan woman, I am that living water. And so all these things we get to see that's happening here in the Exodus, we get to see that truly Jesus Christ is our satisfaction. That no matter what we're going to be taken through in life or what you guys are being taken through right now, refocus your eyes back on Him. Don't try to pass the time with the things that are going to be those temporal satisfactions in your life. If you're having to deal with things in your life, you guys run to Jesus Christ. Don't run to the TV to erase it or run to the alcohol or run to the drugs or run to whatever it is that you've put in there instead of Jesus Christ. And that's not just a young believer's thing to do. Us that are mature in Christ, we find ourselves even running back to that stuff. 
And I want to encourage you guys, stay strong, finish the race just like what Paul says, keep that focus and where that satisfaction needs to come from. Be very careful where you guys are drawing your satisfaction. We can expect God to follow through on his promises. Remember that. Verse 9 in 1 Corinthians, and remember it said, God is faithful. Remember that. Be encouraged this morning if you guys are going through that time. Then the last one, the third one, is that he satisfies our needs. Now, most of us are rushed to point out that the needs are what our physical bodies need, right? But you guys know that there's a ton of spiritual needs that we have. And you guys know as you walk with Jesus, you get to find out these spiritual needs that you didn't even know you had. These things that you starve to death if you're not into his word every single day. You'll find yourself a month later thinking, why am I so angry again? Why am I turning back to the old ways? Why am I doing this? And it find out your satisfaction has been lost. It's no longer in him. The refocus has gone back into those old ways because maybe some trouble or some stress has come up and we've retreated to what was comfortable before. Just like what they did over in Exodus all the time. They always wanted to go back to Egypt. Be careful that you guys are not looking and saying, God, take me back. It was better to be full with my temporal food and die there than it is to be out here trusting in you where it's scary. Be encouraged that that's, it's so much better to be with him. Our physical needs can be shown through the example in Exodus 17. If you guys haven't already turned back to Exodus. Exodus 17, 1 through 7. And this is the last example we'll pull from these guys in their, their, their walk through the, the desert the wilderness. Verse 17, chapter 1, I mean, sorry, chapter 17, verse 1, says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Riphidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. I mean, what kind of God does that? Take people to a place where there's no drink. Verse 2, Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I mean, they're getting pretty serious about this, not just kill us. Now it's, you brought our children into this mess. You're, you're an evil person. In verse 4, so Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the condition, contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And that question keep coming up. Is God with me right now? I'm going through a hard time in my life. He must not be with me, because God would never have me go through something rough. Now, when you guys look at that, and I want to encourage you guys again, if you guys want to go and see that this scripture right here is real, and what happened here with this rock breaking open, you guys know that they actually have pictures of this rock? It's really neat. These guys went and checked it out. It was back in the late 80s. And uh, they got kicked out a couple times because you got to kind of walk around some fences and get back in there. So I think that this one group I was reading, they, they tried three different times. And they held at gunpoint and told to get out of there. They finally found another way around. And they're walking up this valley, and everything is all just shale rock. It's all broken off from the wind. Um, it hardly ever rains there. I think it says in like five years it's an inch of rain. 
um, no rain, no water, and in this whole valley that was there. It's kind of sandy bottom, got all these rocks up there that are just broken, fragmented rocks. They're all crystallized because of the, um, the wind and the heat that's there. And then off in the distance, they come around the corner, and here's this massive rock up on this hill of rocks. And if you guys see the picture, it's so cool because it's split right down the middle. And this rock's huge. I mean, it's 50 feet high. It's not just this little thing like you've seen in the Sunday school where he's breaking it against the wall. This thing is massive. And you have to be because if he's telling him, hey, Moses, go to the rock in Horeb, probably everybody knew what this rock was. And if you guys look at the pictures, it's this rock that's sitting out in the middle of nowhere. It's just right there. So anyways, these archaeologists went and checked it out. Um, they couldn't explain that around the rock on the two sides how all the rock was smooth, as if water had been running over it. And then down the valley, they found the smooth rock again. Everything else had had broken shale rock around there. It wasn't anything that was rounded from water. And they found, you know, they could see these deep grooves that had to have been cut by water coming straight out of the middle of this rock. Not only that, but then they started walking around, and they found these huge squares that were man-made with the stones that they'd stacked on and probably had against their tents around the outside of them. Thousands of them in this valley. And it looks like there's a massive group, people group that just encamped in that valley for a little while. Very interesting. You guys can go and research that. Just another clarification that, yes, this is true. That we can go and find stuff that's out there right now that what God had talked about. And so what happens is this need, and now water is a need, isn't it? I, I would put that under a need. Food, yeah, after 40, you know, 30 days, you probably need some food. But water, you have to have that. Ten days is the most. If you're in a, in a climate that's a little humid, they say about ten days is what you can end up lasting if you're in good shape. Now, if it's hot and horrible conditions out, you're not doing too well, we know that the usual number is three days, right, without water. So this is one of those things that now God had taken them, and, and if you're looking at them walking throughout the wilderness, they come to a place where they're thirsty. The last place they had was the 23 Palms, I think it was 23, and that's the last place they were able to drink from, which that's another place you can go and check out. Archaeologists have found, and there's a bunch of wells in this one area that just has these palm trees in this valley, out in the middle of nowhere. Anyways, that's the last place they had to drink, so God takes them to a place where they would absolutely need some drink at this other place. And instead of calling out and saying, Lord, could you please provide some water for us? We're thirsty, our children are thirsty, and our livestock is thirsty. They went against Moses again. And they contended. And contended means they were very upset about what was going on. Would you guys be upset? Put your kids in the situation. I mean, honestly, I'd be like, okay, this is, we're not fooling around anymore. My little girls are going to die from what you, what, what are we doing out here? This makes no sense. Where are we going? And instead, they start chewing them out. We know that Moses ended up having a hard time with it, smacked the rock twice, penalty later for that. But in this story, the satisfaction that comes is God takes them to a place again to show them the true satisfaction that he's going to make something come out of nothing. That water's just going to come out of this rock and show that you can be satisfied in that. Again, they would thirst from the water, but we know that later on in 1 Corinthians, like we had talked about, is that that water that satisfies, that true living water is from Jesus Christ, isn't it? God's promise to satisfy. If you guys turn over to Isaiah 49, I'll get you guys moving in your Bible again because I see you fading away. That's why I picked out so many verses. <laughs> Isaiah 49, 8. Isaiah 49, verse 8. Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. 
I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prison, prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed among the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them, for he who has mercy on them will lead them, even by the springs of water he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my, high, my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and those from the land of Sinan. This showing that what he has, and he, he preserves. Except the time I have heard in all the day of salvation, I helped you. I brought you that need. He brings that satisfaction to us. The only thing is that sometimes we have to wait on it. I think that's what we can draw from that example there is because, you know, when we get thirsty, we want to drink right away, especially when we're walking out in the wilderness, and God had them wait till they felt that they were going to die, because that's what they were saying, we're going to die, and you don't even care. And so many times in our own lives, when we're not finding any satisfaction, all of a sudden we're like, God, you don't even care about me. Look what you've led me into. Look at all my problems that I have. Where are you now? And we completely forget those other times before that where he took us through something so awesome and unpredictable and things that we can't even explain that he did in our lives and we forget that he was faithful in that time because unfortunately we have this whole focus that satisfaction has to come right away. There is no lesson that comes with satisfaction. And God, on the other hand, wants to show himself and reveal himself. So be encouraged when you guys are going through those times, you might have to wait a little bit. Depending on what God's wanting to show and what he's wanting to teach you through that. And you guys have these scriptures here to go back and remind. And you have 1 Corinthians that says, hey, you guys, they went through this to be examples to us so that we could see how it was done with them. So when we go through that hard time, we can remember and be reminded and encouraged that, you know what? It's God's timing. And I know he's going to be faithful. He was faithful to two million people. Why wouldn't I be faithful with his son, somebody that's been bought and purchased? Why wouldn't he? God's not like that, is he? Go back over to 1 Corinthians. We'll be done in Exodus. So you won't have to go back there anymore. But I want you to go back over to 1 Corinthians. And now that we've gone through all of those stories in Exodus, going back through 1 Corinthians, I really hope it brings out some insight and some application. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11. I'll go ahead and read it again. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they all uh, also lusted. And now what's going to do is it goes through these examples here. And each one of these examples, if you guys look at it, what it is is that you're not finding satisfaction in him. You're not finding satisfaction in his faithfulness, in his timing, in his character, in his love. And what you end up doing is you end up, this first one, it says lusting after other things like what they did. They weren't satisfied in what he was given, and so what did they start doing? They started lusting, desiring what wasn't theirs. Now, just check out in your own life. Is there lust in your own life? 
Is there, that would be a different pointed satisfaction. It would be a different focus of satisfaction in your life. What's driving you to that place to where you've got into a place of lusting? Whatever it could be after. The neighbor's stuff, lusting after women, lusting after men, lusting after power. I mean, a list you guys know. I just pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart if this is anything, because what happens is that when we read these scriptures, it's powerful, and it's an example to us, and we see, you know what, I do have lust in my life. Why have I been driven to find satisfaction in that rather than in my Savior? I mean, I just remembered him this morning. I remembered what his blood did for me. I remember he's broken for me. Why is my satisfaction turned away from him? Why is this lust so much better? Then the next one, look at that, and it says in verse 7, And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And just being focused in that one day, also idolaters we know in Scripture is also called those, it's covetousness. Just focusing on those things that are beyond God and putting them before God, making them another thing that will satisfy us over Him. So look in your own life. Is there something else that you guys, the first thing you wake up to in the morning is not him, it's something else. Your first thought on your mind is some other thought rather than your Savior. The whole focus of your life, where is it that every time you guys go to bed? I know for me, it's, it's still trying to figure out how to do that work. Last night, I tossed and turned because my bed had become a place where I needed to put flagstone down for this wedding I went to the other day. It was miserable. I couldn't get it to match up. <laughs> My whole thought, I was thinking about these other things, this work that I had to do. So when we go and we get up in the morning and we lay down at night, where is our satisfaction at? Are we idolaters? So many times we want to say, there's absolutely no way because I don't have a statue at my house. I don't have anything that I go and I adore and you know, I bow down before. I don't have a little nook in the side where I go and put my statue. Or do we? I mean, it could be called an entertainment center, right? <laughs> Burn, right? <laughs> no, it's some of the things that just focus and see, God, what am I putting before you, Lord? If I don't know what I'm putting before you, reveal it to me. Because I absolutely want to be with you because I know you are my true satisfaction. You are the one that searches my heart and you know exactly where I am. So if I'm not knowing what's going on in my life, Lord, show it to me. Because I just want to draw close to you. You guys have had those experiences in your lives where all of a sudden you sit down and you're like, Lord, where are we at right now? I don't feel like I'm at home with you right now. What's gone on? And then he searches your heart and you come back to him and, oh man, it's such a good reunion, isn't it? So good to be back with him. I encourage you guys, go before him. Say, Lord, what do I have between me and you? Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And then one day 23,000 fell. If you guys want to ever know what God thinks about sexual immorality... This verse is pretty clear. We live in the age of grace, and I thank him for that because look what it says there. It was, it's a serious deal to God. Messing around in sexual sin is a very serious thing to God. Enough to where that many people are wiped out in one day. I don't know how it could get more serious than that. that that's a pretty big statement there. But you know what? We live in the law of the age of grace and thank the Lord for that, that we're not all just smited because of the things we've gotten ourselves into. Be very careful what you guys are giving yourselves to. Guys, your minds, your eyes, be careful with your phones. Be careful with the things you're giving yourself to. You guys need to go find another guy 
Sit down with him and go and talk about it so you have an accountability partner. So easy today to fall in that trap. So easy. Pray for you guys all the time that it doesn't happen. It will destroy you. And break your wife's heart. Verse 9, Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. This, that complaining and what was going on, if you guys go back and you, and you look at that, you can go on your own time and look at what happened there with the serpents, but they were just completely just in rebellion and, and, and complaining about what was going on. God had given them food, and all of a sudden they're like, we're sick of this food from heaven. It's like, what? How could you say that against God? And he ends up sending these serpents to him. So don't let us tempt. Don't be angry. Do not set Jesus in this place of he's your servant. That where is my God at? Why has he not given me this? I'm sick of this food that he's given me. I'm ready for something different. I'm sick of these troubles he keeps taking me through. I want something different. Who are you, right? Who are we before an almighty God? Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. I won't even go over that because I know none of you guys have a problem with complaining, right? <laughs> That's a very easy one. No complaining. But I find it interesting that with these other ones that are very extreme, can you believe that complaining is in there? Complaining is a big deal to God as well because you're not satisfied, right? You're going to complain because you're not satisfied with what he's set up, with the life that he's given you, that brand new life that he's given you, that path that he says that he gives you, that he's already set before you to walk in. You're not satisfied with your complaining. Now in verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Take it very serious what he's written here and, and what he's told these guys in Corinth. Re- referring back to what had happened before and finding that true satisfaction and where it lies. Worship team wants to go ahead and come up. We'll go ahead and close. So in your satisfaction, Jesus brings us true satisfaction unlike the things in the world. You guys will not find true satisfaction in lust and idolatry and sexual immorality and covetousness and discontentment and complaining. (laughs) There won't be any satisfaction there. So the next time somebody comes up and asks you, hey, how's it going or how are you doing? Think about where true satisfaction is and I'm sure you're going to have an answer that's always a positive one. Really, if somebody comes up and says, how are you doing? And you just look at Jesus Christ and be like, wow. You know, I found my satisfaction in him. It can't go any better than it is right now. He's taken me through some stuff, and it is tough. (laughs) But I get a return to him. I get a fall in him because through my weakness, I get to see his strength. Through him, I have to turn back to the scriptures, and I have to find those promises that he's delivering to me. And I have to take hold of them and know that he's going to be faithful in those promises. So if you guys are having a hard time and you're in depression or whatever's going on in your guys' life, be encouraged that true satisfaction will be found in your Savior. That's where you're going to find it. One last verse to end with in Isaiah 58 to encourage you guys before you go. Isaiah 58, 11. This is a great verse. Maybe even one you guys want to mark down. Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you continually. And this, guys, is a promise, okay? The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. 
You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Take that with you guys this week. Be encouraged through his word. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word because it is so powerful. Lord, it cuts us. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit just cut to the heart. Lord, that there's, there's things that are between us and you, Lord, that we would return to you and we'd find our satisfaction that is in you. That our desires and our expectations and our needs, Lord, we know that they only can be fulfilled in you, Lord. And I, I pray for these guys and myself as well that we'd stop returning to those false satisfactions, Lord, that those things that are only temporal and that we're going to thirst over again. Lord, I ask you to continue to remind us throughout this week that we also can encourage other people on what you've taught us this morning through your word, to bring them encouragement as they come up to us and talk about how bad their day is, Lord, that we could show them that, wow, you're such a satisfying God. You're faithful. The promises are true that you give us. We can believe in them 100% that we won't come out in the end with whatever it was, 68% more satisfied because of five points man has come up with, Lord, but we come out 100% more satisfied in you. Lord, I pray that our focus would be on you, Lord, and I thank you so much for this morning. I pray for the, again, for Sean and the kids as they come back, Lord, that you would just give them a safe journey on the road. Lord, that they could just testify of you today and show those people that satisfaction is in you. We praise your name, Lord, and thank you so much for another beautiful day to serve you. And I pray, amen.